Do you have memorials in your life to remember a past loss, event, or a failure? Or perhaps you developed a practice that became a habit that you thought might help you grow spiritually. There's no command for it in the Word of God, but you have picked it up anyway. And it's been a part of your life for so long now, you have a hard time even thinking about cutting it off. Maybe God might be disappointed with you. Maybe a loved one who passed away would be disappointed in you. And that guilt can keep us maintaining that ritual or that state of mind or whatever it is that we're doing, even if it has become harmful to our mental well-being. Well, this is the basis of the question that we came to the... Uh, came to Zechariah, actually it uh, came to a, a panel, a group of people, but Zechariah is the one who got the answer, so he's the one who is mentioned and why it is mentioned in his book. So tonight we're looking at the 14 verses of chapter 7, and it is all to answer this one question that they came here with. And the question is this, should we continue these fasts that we have been doing all these years? They have been doing these particular fasts for decades, we'll look at what those fasts were. These fasts, they can, they remember some past failures, some things that had happened that they wanted to remember. They brought back the sadness of these events. Well, God sent back a message in an answer to this, and it's a, not necessarily a direct answer, but it is certainly an answer. It does help us, and we can look at some of the things that will help us here tonight. Last week, or last time anyway, we were looking at chapter 6 and the prophetic message about the Messiah. This week though, it is pretty much answering the question they were going through at the time. And though there is nothing prophetic about this, it is something that we can all learn from in what we do. So let's take this up here in Zechariah chapter 7 and verse 1. Now in the fourth year of King Darius, it came to pass that the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, Chislev, which the people sent Sherezer and Regem, Melech, and his men to the house of God to pray before the Lord and to ask the priests who were in the house of the Lord of hosts and the prophets, saying, Should I weep in the fifth month and fast as I have done for so many years? So they did not come and ask Zechariah directly. They came and they were going to ask the priests and the prophets that were around there, so there were more prophets there than just Zechariah. And so they asked them, now I had a note on this, that this delegation came to Jerusalem with the question about fasting on around December 4th, 518 B.C. At around this point of time, the temple was about halfway built. So how long should I mourn or remember failures and tragedies of the past? And this is the question that we do encounter today. People sometimes have lost a loved one. People have had a sad event that has gone on in the past. Um, maybe an event that brought some tragedy and they just wanted to remember that or remember something so they don't repeat it. And so we have these anniversaries. We have these things that come in and they remind us of uh, these sad events in there. And the question would be, how long should we keep them going? Is Do they have an end date? Do they have an end point? Should we at some point say, all right, it's enough of that, let's move on. Of course, if it's a loved one who passes away and you want to remember their passing, if we do anything 
to remember that and then stop. Sometimes there's a lot of guilt that goes on with that. It says, well, uh, why am I stopping? And uh, particularly if a person said that a wife lost a husband and they were young enough they were going to get remarried. Well, once they got remarried, should we go back and remember the dates of the first husband when he passed away? And uh, that can be, be a little bit tough. So there's, there's questions like that that can still come up and we can deal with. So their particular question is, should I weep in the fifth month and fast? Now the law of Moses commanded that on the day of atonement, the seventh month, the people of Israel should afflict their souls. That was in Leviticus 16, 29 to 34, if you want to go back later and take a look at that. Now the text in Leviticus does not specifically say that they should fast. But as long, but has long been understood by the Jewish teachers and the leaders of the Jewish people that it was a command to fast on the Day of Atonement. And so they instructed this and the people practiced this so that the Day of Atonement was a day of fasting for Israel. Now there are some additional fasts that were, that came in here and these are the fasts that they're te- talking about. I, I made these up into a chart and I didn't really think it would fit in your outline by the time we got done, and sure enough, it, it did not. I barely had enough uh, room to get in what we had. So I sent it over to Daryl, and Daryl's going to put it up. And if you are on the email list for the Wednesday night notes, I also included it in that so that you can make sure that to see it. So these are the fasts that Israel had picked up. Uh, during their time of captivity, during the 70 years that they were in captivity. The first one was in the fourth month of the 17th, in the seventeenth day. And this is mourning the capture of Jerusalem. And we find this over in Jeremiah 52, verses 6 through 30. Now, if you, uh, you, it's not written down in your outline, but again, it's, if you are on the email list, you will have this same graphic in your email, and you can check this out over there. But this is the morning of the capture of Jerusalem. Of course, when they were captured the first time, nothing was burned or destroyed. But then in the fifth month, the ninth, this is uh, the burning of Jerusalem and the destruction of Solomon's temple. Because they rebelled, and Nebuchadnezzar came back, and he said, enough of this. And so he knocked the walls down and burned the temple, destroyed it, and then took most of the people away in the second captivity that came. That's in Second Kings 25, 2 through 10. So this was another fast day they had to remind them of the burning of Jerusalem and the destruction of Solomon's temple. You could see that would be a sad day for them. In the seventh month and the third day, the assassination of Gedaliah and the massacre of the 80 men. Now, I noticed that in the listing of this, there is no mention of the nation's disobedience to God. And I don't mean their disobedience that brought about the judgment that came. I mean the disobedience to God when God says, don't leave the city. Don't flee to Egypt. Now they fled to Egypt and they took Jeremiah with them. Well, that's all accounted in Jeremiah 41. And the fourth of these fasts is the beginning of the siege against Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar. And this was on the 10th month, the 10th day. Second Kings 25, we'll talk about that. Now, the fast they had in the seventh month and the third day would also have been closely followed by the Day of Atonement, which is in the seventh month and the tenth day. So they had a fast day on the third day and then a fast day on the tenth day. So they had a week in between those particular days. So what they're saying is, we're now back in Jerusalem. 
the, the temple is being completed. It's not completed yet, but it's being completed. The walls were partially rebuilt. Of course, later on, they're going to be fully rebuilt. But they're back in the city. And so they're saying, since we had these fast days to commemorate these events, and now that we're back in the land, should we do them, should we continue to do them? Should we continue to remember these things? So that's why I have you relate this question. Have you ever done something ritually in this area or developed a practice that you thought might help you grow spiritually? And there's all kinds of things that we could pick up. There's no command in the word to do what you're doing, but it's been part of your life for so long that to cut it out would seem to be wrong. That's what these folks are facing. There's no command for any of these feasts. Um, sorry, fast days. No command at all. But they have been traditionally practiced for so long, uh, probably around 70 years, they developed the legitimacy of their own. They thought, well, we've done this for so many years, we may as well just keep on doing it. So I put in your outline this. Length of time can often produce the same legitimacy as commanded of God. We just need to be aware of that. Sometimes even the people that you're dealing with, because they have dealt with something for so long, had something so long in their life, it has the same legitimacy as something that God commanded Himself. And that's what you're up against. So you have to be be watchful of these things and be careful that uh, you don't just plow over what it is that they feel is important and understand to them it has the same legitimacy as something commanded by God. Now, you don't have that same length of time going on in your life, so you don't understand why it's legitimate. But there are things in our own life that, well, I've done this for so long. I just think that I ought to do it. Because I've just been, I just keep doing this. Once we have accepted its legitimacy, its removal will prove difficult. What I need to determine you're going to try and remove something out of your life or even in the life of someone else, if you're going to try and re have that removed, what you need to determine is this something, first off, God commanded. Is this something God commanded? Are you doing something that God said, Steve, do this? He said in the Word of God, thou shalt not, thou shalt, whatever it might be. Did God command it? That's the first thing we've got to determine. Is this something that God commanded? A lot of times, because we've been doing it for so long, we feel like God commanded it. But i got to know for sure, did God command this thing of me? The second, is this something commemorating good or bad? Does it remind me of something good that happened? Or does it remind me of something bad that happened? Now, just because it reminds you of something bad does not mean, well, then just get rid of that. Because sometimes we want to be reminded of bad things so we don't repeat them. But if we're just being reminded of a bad thing and it just makes us sad, well, it's probably not necessarily helping you out. Is this something beneficial to me? Does it benefit you in any way? And if so, what are the benefits? Spell it out. List it. Write it down. Don't just think, well, I'm pretty sure I'll get some benefit out of it. No, don't, don't do that. Write it down. What does this do? How is it benefiting me? Is this something, number four, is this something that should expire? 
did it have an expiration date? How many have ever gone through your your uh, cabinets to look for things that might have expiration dates? Because uh, you got it at one point thinking that you were going to use it, but it's been sitting there and uh, maybe it's past the, the point and uh, maybe we just don't want to mess with that and try and figure it out. Should it, ex- maybe it, it should have expired. Here's the last one. Is it something hurting or helping? Is it actually helping me or is it hurting me? You determine those things, you'll be on your way to figuring out whether this should, this will be be helpful or not. We'll look at some examples in these things as we go. Let's go into chapter 3, or verse 3 again. And to ask the priests who were in the house of the Lord of hosts, the prophets, saying, Should I weep in the fifth month and fast as I have done for so many years? Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, this is Zechariah, saying, Say to all the people of the land and to the priests, When you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh months during those 70 years. Now, mention the seventh month. He's talking about the third day of the month, not the uh, tenth day of the month. Tenth day of the month was instituted by Moses in the law. He's talking about the third day. When you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh months during those 70 years, did you really fast for me? Who are you doing it for? Was it something that was beneficial to God? Or was it something that would be, was beneficial to you? When you eat and when you drink, do you not eat and drink for yourselves? Should you not have obeyed the words which the Lord proclaimed through the former prophets when Jerusalem and the cities around it were inhabited and prosperous and the south and the lowland were inhabited? Now, we read through that and then we can just kind of skip over. Well, I don't know what he's talking about there. But this refers to the south and the lowland, refers to the Negev, the uh, desolate d- desert near the Dead Sea. If we look over there by the Dead Sea in the, in the Negev area, you will see a pretty desolate area. But this area was not always desolate. Before Israel's disobedience, it was prosperous and it was inhabited. It was part of the land flowing with milk and honey. But when they were disobedient, this thing fell into desolation and apparently at this time it was still in that state. So he says here, Should you not have obeyed the words which the Lord proclaimed through the former prophets when Jerusalem and the cities around it were inhabited and prosperous and the south and the lowland were inhabited? So if when things were better, if you would have listened, then this desolation wouldn't have occurred. And really, if they had listened, they would never have had these fast days. They never would have come up. And so he's saying this, are you listening to God now? They didn't listen to God then. Are you listening to God now? Are you doing this because God is telling you to do it? Or are you doing it for yourselves. Why are you doing it? It is possible that what we do sacrificially to uh, seem God to seem God seeking is really just indulgent self pity. We look like we're God seeking. We look sorrowful, we look sad, we look remorseful, but we're just being filled with self pity. That can be the case, and that can be the case with them. Oh, woe is us, because we were desolate, because our temple got burned. Oh, woe is us, 
<laughs> they could be just going, doing something like this. We have to make sure that we don't fall into that too. When we do things for myself or my feelings, they are not done for God. If you are doing things to commemorate past events because of your feelings, you are not doing it for God. You're also not doing it for the person you say you're doing it for. You're doing it for your feelings. You're doing it for yourself. And if you want to keep on doing it, that's fine, but just come to terms with why you're doing it. I'm doing it for me. I'm doing it for my feelings. I'm doing it to appease my guilt in the whole matter. The longer we practice it, the easier it is to become mere religious observance. The longer we practice it, the easier it is to become mere religious observance. This is something we have to be careful of because I can do something that I picked up to benefit me spiritually. And I've been doing it for so long, I don't feel like I can stop. And it really is nothing more than religious observance. That's about all that it is. So he said, should you not have obeyed? Because their hearts were not right with God. Their rituals were not accepted to God. Because their hearts were not right with God. Their rituals were not acceptable to God. Every day, obedience would make their times of fasting meaningful. But their neglect of everyday obedience made their fasting hypocritical. Don't neglect everyday obedience just to keep up what you want to do. I put this in your outline this way. Wrong hearts cause right actions to be just common rituals. Right? Wrong hearts cause right actions to be just common rituals. They were doing something like fasting, and fasting we associate with spiritual things. It's not, a, it's, it's not an easy thing to do. Your flesh doesn't want to do it. And so when you practice a day of fasting, you go 24 hours without eating, there is a sacrifice that goes on in there. And it couldn't be a right action. But because their hearts were wrong, it became nothing more than a common ritual. And that got nothing from... God wasn't impressed with it at all. I don't care if you do it or not do it. It's not doing me any good. It's not doing you any good either. I found this quote by Baldwin. It was easy to spend fast days mourning their losses, but harder to face up to God's continuing demands. It was easy to spend fast days mourning their losses, but harder to face up to God's continuing demands. All right, another set of blanks here. Got a whole bunch of them right in a row there. God is far more pleased with obedience to His words than dedication to our rituals. God is far more pleased with obedience to His words than dedication to our rituals. This involves a seeking out of His words, gaining the understanding and determining its application. i got to seek out His words. I may have picked up a ritual based on a weak understanding of what I thought God meant. But i got to keep seeking that out. Once I get a better understanding of what He was intending, what He said in His Word, I need to adjust what it is that I'm doing. But sometimes, while I've been doing it this way, I've been doing it ritually this way, I don't know that I can stop that. Because it has taken on that legitimacy in my own life because I've been doing it. Keep doing it. Seek out His words. If you find in His words, oh, I shouldn't do that. 
Gain the understanding and determine its application. You remember some time ago, we've gone through, uh, a couple of times, we've, we've gone through that story with Jesus washing the feet. A lot of churches have picked up the ritual of foot washing in services. And they feel like this is doing something spiritual for them. But they completely misunderstood the story. And so we spent time on it, and we're not going to spend time tonight, but we spent time on it, gone through the story, and showed what Jesus was actually showing. What Jesus was actually telling them to do when he said, go and do likewise, he was not telling them to go out and wash feet. So they missed the map, they missed the meaning of the story. They come up with the wrong application. But you go into some churches and say, that ritual that you're doing is nothing more than your own ceremony. It is not doing anything to God, and it's not helping you grow. And you find out how much of a fight you'll get on it. Now, what we have to do is determine if actively remembering the past, whether it be a sin, a tragedy, an event, causes you to lose focus on actively obeying God in the present. Does my remembering the past actively cause me to lose focus on obeying in the present? or walking in his principles, then that ritual needs to go. I need to get rid of it. If it's keeping me from obeying God in the present, it needs to go. If it's something that's pulling you into sadness, if it's something that's pulling you into dis- discontent, anger, these are things that are against the principles of God's Word. They're not the traits that the people of Christ should have. Always walking around sad. Always walking around discontent. Walking around angry. These are not the traits that we are to have. And if I have a ritual, if I have a thing that I'm going through, if I have a remembrance that's always bringing me down to this, I need to get rid of that remembrance because it is causing me to falter spiritually. And God is not not moved by these things. He would rather me be obedient to His Word and be filled with joy than be carrying sadness around in my heart all the time. And if I have something that I keep doing that reminds me of the sadness, Instead of being filled with joy. But then I am actively disobeying God in order to maintain my ritual. Well, we may tell God this. That would be so hard to do. You ever done that? Looked in the Word of God and said, well, God's telling me to do this. Oh, that would be so hard to do. But how often is obedience easy? Just because it's not easy doesn't mean that you're not supposed to be out there doing it. Put this in your outline for you too. Don't dwell with the dead. Things not life giving. Don't dwell with the dead. If you've got these rituals and all it's doing is bringing dead things in your life, lifeless things in your life, sadness in your life, bad stuff, depression, whatever it might be, anger, get it out. Get rid of that ritual. God is more pleased that you got rid of a ritual that was bringing you down in order to be obedient to His Word than He would be if you continued to maintain that. Let's go over here to verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Execute true justice. Show mercy and compassion, every one to his brother. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. Let none of you plan evil in his heart against his brother. Now this is an interesting turn here, but it enlightens us. This is some of the things that God wants us to do. I got a couple of other translations on these uh, next verses. The Amplify for verse 10 reads this way. And oppress not the widow or the fatherless, the temporary resident or the poor, and let none of you devise or imagine or think evil against your brother in your heart. He wants you to make sure 
that we do not devise or imagine or think evil against our brother. Don't do that in your heart. Now, what's that have to do with rituals? We'll see what this is. I put this in your in your blanks to make sure that you would get this. I had to shorten it a little bit, but after exhorting the people of their neglect and obedience, because the people had been neglectful in the true obedience that God wanted. So after exhorting the people on their neglect and obedience, they are now exhorted as to the kind of obedience God desires. This is the kind of obedience God desires. He wants obedience that is teamed up with mercy and kindness. God wants obedience from us that is teamed up with mercy and kindness. Have you ever seen people in the church say they are doing something in obedience to God and are not merciful or kind? And you don't have to even think very hard on this. Just go to the Bible and take a look at the religious leaders around Jesus' time or around Paul's time around Peter's time, did they have mercy and kindness as they were supposedly enforcing the laws of God? As they were expecting obedience out of the disciples, was there mercy and was there kindness? It was not there. Prophet is saying this. He's giving the message from God. When you have obedience to my words, they will be mixed with mercy and kindness because if you are obeying what I want you to do, then mercy and kindness will be all about you. If it's not, then you are obeying with a wrong heart. You are going through a ritual. To read it again. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. Let none of you plan evil in his heart against his brother. Well, then go back to verse 9. Thus says the Lord of hosts, execute true justice. Show mercy and compassion. Everyone to his brother. Show mercy and compassion. You got to show the mercy you got to show the compassion. He's saying, do this. If you're going to execute true justice, these are the motivators. The true motivators behind justice. True justice. Oh, I must have cut out something. Boy, it's just not even there. These are the motivators behind true just, justice and compassion. That's Oh, it is there, right? These are the motivators behind true justice and compassion. Mercy and kindness. If you're going to have true justice, you, it, is mercy, it is mercy and kindness filled. If you're going to have true compassion, true compassion is filled with mercy and kindness. And these things ought to be part of the, the church. If you have any ritual, if you have any thought, if you have anything that keeps entering into your mind that moves you out of the area of mercy and kindness, it will take you from true justice and compassion. And what you are doing it's going to end up being ritualistic and not obedience to God. A sign that fleshly rituals have replaced spiritual attitudes is a lack of such traits in our lives. That is the sign that I have fleshly rituals going on in my life instead of spiritual attitudes. And uh, I, way before we, we came to this verse, my wife and I, we've told you the story. A lot of times, you know, we'll uh, meet ministers for the first time. I love going out to restaurants with ministers when we meet them for the first time because we look, we we will intentionally look. How do you treat the waitstaff? Oh, we will look. How do you treat the waitstaff? 
When the waitress or waiter comes to the table, how do you speak to them? And if they are demanding, rude, unthankful, that tells us the attitudes aren't right. And we already know, well, these attitudes aren't right. That's telling me something is low on the inside. Something is wrong on the inside. We can always tell for that. And later on, if we hung around with them long enough, we would uh, find out what that was. But a lot of times, uh, we've had times that they, they, were, they just treated people so rude. I remember one time, I went back into the restaurant after walking them out to their car, walked them out, walked back into the restaurant, went out to the lady and said, I am sorry for the people that we came. We just met them. We didn't know them before. And they treated you so rude. We may have said some things at the table, but I wanted to make sure I went on back and uh, let them know. Um, I, I don't know what the, the deal is with them, but um, that was not right that they would speak to you that way. And that's, that's just wrong. You're good. There ought to be that mercy and kindness in us as Christians, not just as ministers. As Christians, that ought to be part of us. Go in verse 11. But they refused to heed, shrugged their shoulders, and stopped their ears so that they could not hear. This is what the people of Israel did. They refused to heed, shrugged their shoulders, and stopped their ears. He's talking about the Israelites who refused to hear before and where judgment came upon them. The Amplified renders verse 11 this way. But they refused to listen and turned the rebellious and stubborn shoulder and made heavy and dull their ears that they might not hear. They turned the rebellious and stubborn shoulder. I like that better than just shrug their shoulders. And you can kind of get that. You know, if, if you are given instruction, if you're a parent, you're given instruction to a kid and you say, you ask them something, you know, why did you do that? Mm. <laughs> you can tell a lot of times there's an attitude behind that. <laughs> And that's what uh, Jesus, or that's what the word is telling us here. But they refused to heed, shrugged their shoulders, and stopped their ears so that they could not hear. A progression of rebellion seems to be pointed out. A progression of rebellion seems to be pointed out. I spent a good bit of time on this little list here, and I didn't make any of them blank because I gave you so many blanks already. Could have made some of them blank. But I'll tell you what, I, I wrote some things down and I went away and prayed about it some more, trying to get the image of this thing. Because I really wanted to see what is the progression that is going on here with people that would take Israel to the place where they would eventually get to such rebellion. I wanted to really get an idea of what is this about. Because i got to know the pattern. If I know the pattern, I can stop it in myself, I can stop it in somebody else. But i got to know the pattern. First thing. It's probably the hardest word I had to find for this. Regaled by other things. And I looked up the definition of that word and it means exactly what I wanted to be. You are lured in, drawn in by other things. Regaled by other things. This is the first progression. This is the first thing that happened to Israel when they fell into rebellion and judgment came down upon them. They were worshiping God. God was on their side. But eventually other things began to come in. Some of the idols of the land, some of the people, some of the uh, riches, some for riches, some for things they weren't, didn't need, weren't supposed to have. They were regaled with other things. This led to the corruption of God's word and the principles. Compromise of God's standards. Opens the door to the pursuit of sinful pleasures. And then God speaks to this, to these compromises. 
when I get regaled by other things, I'm allowing a corruption of God's Word to come on in. God's Word is, is here, but see, other things come in. Other things begin to corrupt it. And they say, well, I know the Word of God says this, but it means this. And they change the meaning of it. I was listening to a preacher, I think, yesterday. It might have been this morning. Uh, when I was out running, might have heard it this morning, but they were going over, reading over that verse of Scripture. They talked about it, that a man should not lie with a man like a man lies with a woman. Paul's words in the New Testament. And I'm thinking, yeah, you can't really get past that. They try and reword some of the other things that are in Scripture, that Scripture is really not against homosexuality and all these. But you cannot get past Paul's wording. <laughs> Paul's wording is very, very clear on, on that sort of thing. The... Um, that sort of thing is wrong, but you see, they'll corrupt the God's, God's word and his principles. Once you do that, you'll compromise God's standards. You can't, you don't just go to compromising God's standards. Israel did not just go to compromise God's standards. They corrupted God's word and the principles first. Then there was room to compromise God's standards. That's why the church is not standing for marriage between a man and a woman. You let the word of God become corrupted, you compromise God's standard. And something else can come into play. It opens the door to pursuit of sinful pleasures. Well, I wanted to do these things anyway, and now that the standards have been lowered, I can go ahead and do that. And then God speaks to these compromises that people were making. You'll see examples in David with the census. Remember when David made the census? Even Joab came to him and said, "That's not. you're not supposed to do this. It's against the word of God. God said don't do this. No, no, no. Go out there and do it. He was going to do it. What happened? First off, he corrupted God's word. God's word said this, but somehow it got corrupted in his mind. So he compromised God's standards. It opened a door to pursue something that we weren't supposed to pursue. And then God had to come and speak to it. And God did eventually come and speak to that. More than likely, the same thing happened with Bathsheba, but we don't have the full account. I cannot imagine that all the people that surrounded David, when David said, go and call the woman, that someone didn't say, David, are you sure that this is what you want to do? I'm sure somebody probably... And yes, yes, yes. You'll see the same example with Solomon. He had a corruption of God's word and principles. He compromised God's standards. It opened the door to the pursuit of sinful pleasures. And then God sent prophets to speak to the compromises. Jeroboam did the same thing. He had God's word on how he was to rule. He let that word become corrupted. And the principles that came along with that he compromised God's standards. He had opened the door to the pursuit of sinful pleasures. And then God sent prophets along to prophesy against him. Remember the unnamed prophet who came and prophesied against him? Jehoshaphat did this in his constant treaties and powing around with Ahab. Constantly he was doing it. He corrupted God's words and the principles. In fact, one time the prophet came and said, if it was not for Jehoshaphat, I would not even be here. Jehoshaphat shouldn't have been there either. If God's saying, I wouldn't be here, <laughs> Jehoshaphat should have heard and he shouldn't have been there either. But he kept being there. And nearly Hezekiah. Hezekiah somehow let the corruption of God's word and principles come in. He compromised God's standard, opened the door to the pursuit of sinful pleasures until the, God sent the prophet and said, that's it, you've got, fit, you got, I'm sorry, not fit, you've got no more time, you will die. So he turned to the wall and he repented. 
And then before the prophet got out the door, God sent him back and said, go tell him he's got 15 more years. But somewhere, and we can kind of put some of it together in his life as to what it probably was. It was in the area of pride. Somewhere he compromised. So, we are regaled by other things. This is the first first bit. Christians are regaled by other things. We got somebody teaching a new way of prophesying. So you got all these Christians that are meeting around prophesying to get to chairs and clocks. And that is not an exaggeration. They do that in some meetings. They prophesy to practice. They will prophesy to chairs and to clocks. Yes. It is absolutely so. I am not saying something far-fetched. I am telling you this is what they do. I know people that have been in the meetings and they would put the chair in the center of a group and they'll have people do ring around, the, not ring around the road, but the musical chairs. they play the music. When the music stopped, whoever was in front of the chair prophesied to the chair as a way of practicing. This is what they did. So you have to be regaled by other things. I am so regaled by prophecy and be able to speak things prophetically that I will do these ridiculous things even though it compromises so many things in the Word of God. They are regaled by other things. That is the first step. Once we get that, once Israel was regaled by other things, they refused to yield to or heed God's Word. God's Word sent prophets. He sent people over to say things. Hey, yo, this is not something that you should do. You need to go back to God. You need to follow after God. And they refused to yield to or heed God's word. When they would read over the scriptures and said, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. They refused to yield to God's word. When prophets came and pointed out, Stop this idolatry. They refused to yield to God's word that was spoken. They rejected its relevance in their lives. How many Christians do you know today that reject the relevance of the Word of God in their life today. Well, that's Old Testament. Well, you know, the, that's that's for before. We're in the modern day and, and you know, God loves all people and things need to change. And Well, they rejected its relevance to their lives. Fourth stage, they revolted at its conviction. When the Word of God came and convicted them, they just outright revolted against it. Before, I just don't think that's relevant in my life. Now, alright, I don't care that you are speaking to my situation. I rebel. I revolt against that. There is no way I am accepting that in my life. Results in rock-hard hearts, which is what the Word of God talks to them. Verse 12, yes, they made their hearts like flint, refusing to hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Thus great wrath came upon, came from the Lord of hosts. They made their hearts like flint. They made their hearts hard as rock. Zechariah 11 and 12 in the New English translation goes this way. But they refused to pay attention turning away stubbornly and stopping their ears so they could not hear. They refused to pay attention, turning away stubbornly and stopping their ears so they could not hear. Indeed, they made their heart as hard as a diamond so they could not obey the Torah and the other words the Lord who rules over all had sent by His Spirit through the former prophets. Therefore, 
the Lord who rules over all had poured out great wrath. The New Living Translation translates verse 12 this way, They made their hearts as hard as stone, so they could not hear the instructions or the messages that the Lord of Heaven's armies had sent them by His Spirit through the earlier prophets. This is why the Lord of Heaven's armies was so angry with them. People with hard hearts got there through a process they did not care to stop. And that's why we laid out that process for you. We have to make sure that we don't. And remember, the first part is that attraction that things outside of the Word have for us. You gotta, we gotta make sure that we stand guard against those attractions. Don't let that stuff come out. Don't be regaled by other things. Don't let people come in with other parts of the Word. This is one of the reasons why I get so passionate about it. You hear me talk about this all the time. When I listen to a preacher and, um, they, if they start to get off on the Word, I, I'll fast forward it and I'll give them a second chance. But if you're doing this all the time, if you're getting off on the Word, if you're coming in with some really weird, you're done. I don't need to listen to you. I would rather listen to Fred Price teach the same message 50 times than listen to one of them guys. Much rather do it. I'll get far more out of it, even on the 50th time, than I would out of that. Because what happens is it begins to soften you. You, get, you just get a little bit soft. Now, you all can relate to this. You know I'm a runner, but other people, you, you do different things. Some people like uh, 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 Zumba. Is that what that's it's called? Zumba? I think you used to talk about doing the Zumba. Some people like bike riding. Some people like walking. Some people do weight lifting. Some people do uh, 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 treadmills. and There's all kinds of things we can do. No matter what it is that you have ever done in the area of physical activity, if you take time off from doing the actual activity, you don't get better. It does not take long for all that you put into it to go away. John and I used to talk about this because, you know, something came on us and we uh, had an injury or something. We missed a week or two. It was amazing. We always would talk about this constantly. How amazing is it how fast you lose this? It's amazing how fast it goes away. It takes a long time to build it up. But boy, it goes away fast. You can get yourself up to uh, riding your bike for an hour and then take some time off and now you can't even get out there for 15 minutes. You can get out there for the Zumba classes and you can maybe put up with a whole hour of that class and feel real good at the end of it and then take some time off, maybe a week or two and try and go back to it in 30 minutes and <laughs> you're just about wore out. This is why you got to stay sharp on it. This is why I, I get passionate about this. I, I don't want to hear stuff that's not the Word. If you're teaching stuff, that's not in the Word. Uh, well, get ready. I, I don't need to listen to you. I can find other... I don't need a whole lot of people. I can just listen to a few. And I'm good with that. <laughs> I, I'm perfectly fine with just listening to a few people who will throw out the Word. And, um, and I can hear it that way. But there's other people that, that teach about the Word. I don't want to hear people teaching about the Word. I want to hear people teaching the Word. I want to hear people that are uh, teaching the, 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 the principles. This is one of the things that... One of the things I listen to people and they'll declare the end result of a principle. Or they will tell you, this is how you obey the Word of God. Ever heard of somebody do that? 
They just teach you this is what you need to do to obey the Word of God. You've got to have this in your life. You've got to do this in your life. You've got to not do this. And They'll give you the application. They'll tell you how to do it. But they never taught you the Word. They never taught you the principles that led to that conclusion. To me, that's useless. You'll, know that I, you'll notice that I don't ever do that. I'll spend, say, you know, we have an hour uh, uh, sermon. I'll spend 40, 45 minutes teaching you the Word on it and then the last 15 minutes or so showing you where that accounts to uh, changing our behavior. Uh, we call it application. But uh, how we can change behavior. But we spend the bulk of the time teaching the Word on it. Because it's important that we have to learn the Word because i got to learn the will of God. Because what I am doing is according to the will. I'm, I'm obeying the will of God. That's what we have to get. I'm obeying the will of God. If you just obey a preacher who told you this is how you're supposed to do it, I'm not obeying the will of God. I'm obeying the preacher. And that's not what we're supposed to be led into. We have to learn the Word. Now I'm obedient to the Word. Well, this is what the Word taught. This is what's in the Word. This is, this is right here in the Word of God. How many times have we gone on through and showed you a passage of Scripture? All right, this is where some people over the years, this is what they have taught this means. If it, and since it meant that, this is the obedience we have out of it. And so we'll show you that's not what it said. And we'll show you in the context and, and other, other places in the Scripture because I want you to understand the full breadth of it. Because if we're going to bring our behavior into obedience, it needs to be obedience into the Word of God. That's what's going to bring the growth. That's what we need to do. Don't be regaled by other things. You start listening to people. And uh, you know that person we, we talked about, my wife was listening to, 22 gifts of the Spirit. No, there's nine. <laughs> there's nine gifts of the Spirit. There's other gifts in the Bible that, that he talks about. But if you want to talk about gifts of the Spirit, there's nine. Paul lays them out. Three groups of three. Nine gifts of the Spirit. Now there's other things. There's other ministry gifts and there's other service gifts and there's other things that you can put in there that way. But there's nine gifts of the Spirit. And that's it. I, I remember we were going through the spiritual armor series. And I told you about this one Rhema pastor who got up and said, well, I think this should be part of the, the armor. I see this as part. It's not in there. Paul never mentioned it. Wasn't in there at all. He just added it. Well, I scratched him off the list. <laughs> you never saw anything from him on our Monday video teaching that we posted. I was listening to some of his messages to see if I could, well, maybe he might have something. He's got, you know, big ministry. He's pretty well known at, at Rhema. And uh, once he said that, nope, that's it. If you can compromise yourself that way to add things into Scripture, I don't care what you have to say. I'm not listening to you anymore. And I'll, I'll write them off because the, the thing is, I got to make sure I stay sharp. It's imperative that I re remain sharp. That it doesn't just benefit me. As a pastor, I have to make sure that I stay sharp because I have to hear what's in the Word of God for other people. It's imperative. I, I know from, you know, I like double-digit runs. But if I get uh, a setback and I'm off for a couple of weeks, I can't always go back and hit a double-digit run. I have to uh, uh, build up to it slow. I don't like it, but... Uh, I know that'll happen. I've known that happens for, you know, decades. <laughs> I've been doing this. And I also know it happens in the, in the Word. If I start listening to people who talk about the Word, if I start listening to preachers who don't teach the Word, if I start listening to people who add things to the Word, it will not take long for that to work in its way into me. And so I get adamant about it. Nope, nope. You're not teaching the Word. I don't need to listen to you. And I just, they're done. It's not so important that everything that they teach that I listen to, that they're right on. But they've got to teach the Word. 
and they got to teach it is what they learn. I may know something better. Maybe they know something better than I do. So just because they don't teach what I agree, I'll listen to them. All right, well, I know this part in the Word of God, and um, maybe they, they know something else, and so I'll listen to it. No, 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 I, I know this part over here. But you see, they're getting me to think about the Word of God. I don't have to agree with everybody spiritually on this, but you've got to be in the Word and not just uh, teaching false things or bringing false things into it because I know that will compromise me. And it will compromise you too. Make sure you stay up on it. We don't need those. We don't need those kind of things going on. Alright, so we read verse 12 there in the New Living Translation. We've got to make sure that we stop this process. Now, people who have got hard hearts, who've gone through this process and they've got hard hearts, they can be softened. But only by receiving God's words. Like Paul did on the Damascus Road. Paul had a hard heart to the things of God. God even said to him, how long will you kick against the goads? You're going in the wrong direction. You are resisting my words that I'm sending to you. You're resisting them. And Paul received the words that God spoke to him on that road and consequently they came from the, the prophet. Hey, but Moses at the burning bush, did Moses have a hard heart towards doing what God told him to do? Sure did. I don't want to do it. Send somebody else. But once he received the words that God spoke to him at the burning bush, it softened his heart. We can have our hearts softened, but you have to receive the word that God speaks. The Bible is filled with people who refuse to hear and never soften. Pharaoh, of course, is the poster child for that, but you could also look at Saul. Saul hardened his heart, and he refused to hear the words that God spoke to him. Jeroboam, he had a soft heart, he got a hard one and refused to hear the words that God spoke to him. Judas, he had a soft heart. He got a hard one. And he refused to hear the words that Jesus spoke to him. A healthy believer's hunger for God's word is exactly opposite those of the person in rebellion. A healthy believer's hunger for God's word is exactly opposite those of the person in rebellion. Right now, if you you have a soft heart toward God, you cannot get enough of the Word of God. If you want to get more, you want to get you. I just got to keep listening to the Word. You keep it on all the time. You're always listening to the Word. You're reading the Word. But a person who has a hard heart, they don't want to hear the Word. Why would I listen to messages during the week? That's that's ridiculous. And it's not just heathen, but believers who have rejected the truth for a lie or altered the message of God to fit their world or their lifestyle. Boy, people do that today. They alter the message of the Word because I'm living this way, so I need a Word that conforms to how I live. Those who lose their hunger for the Word of God are in the process of becoming hard-hearted. If you want to see, am I on the way to getting a hard heart? Are you not as hungry for the Word? Are you losing something on that? The lack of hearing is not evidence that it isn't God's word or words that He spoke. Just because people do not hear what God said, that is not evidence that God spoke it or that God did not speak it. What people hear. There's other ways that we can tell. We've been through some of those before. Let's finish this up. Verse 13. Therefore it happened that just as He proclaimed and they would not hear, so they called out and I would not listen, says the Lord of hosts. 
But I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations which they had not known. Thus the land became desolate after them, so that no one passed through or returned, for they made the pleasant land desolate. God says there comes a point of our refusing to listen to Him, that He will also refuse to listen to us. There comes a point. If I continue to refuse to listen to God, that He will also refuse to listen to us. Now what that means is this. If there are ministers that God has been sending His Word to and they have refused to listen to it, they're not repenting. And they ask God for something. They ask God for insight. And He's not speaking to them anymore. Where are they hearing it from? There comes a point where God says, you refuse to listen to me, I'm not listening to you. You've probably seen some parents who've done this. Child's not listening, not listening, not listening. After a while, the mom or dad, they come in and say, I'm hungry. I'm not listening to you. <laughs> we try to turn it around so that they will begin to listen when they need to listen. Now, God didn't do this right away. We look from the Word of God and there was an awful long time that God put up with, with Israel and their lack of listening to Him before He finally said, that's it, I'm not listening anymore. They stopped listening to His prophets. They stopped listening to the writings of Moses. For us today, we stop listening to the Old Testament. We stop listening to the New Testament. We stop listening to the things His Spirit says to us. We start listening to non-word things. That sure seems to explain how some people get off. People who were once on, how they are hearing stuff. How in the world are you hearing God say that? Because God stopped speaking to them. Something else picked it up. With the whirlwind likely refers to the swiftness of Babylon's and possibly Assyria's victories. Such a path led to the barrenness and also to the New Testament saint who go the same way of rituals over obedience. Be careful of rituals over obedience. Now what might I be doing that started well but has become ritualistic? What is it that I might have in my life that I picked up that I thought started well, but maybe it's become just a little bit too ritualistic. I maintain it simply because I've always done it. I've done it for a long time. Not because it brings any spiritual benefit that I've seen, but I thought it might, and so I started it, and I just keep going. Well, how about a weekly or a monthly fast? I mean, that's, a, that's what the whole topic was here. Some people, they picked up a, a weekly fast. Well, I've told you this part before when we were down there in Ramah. And uh, Brother Hagen would teach us on, on fasting. And he said he had certain fast days in his life. When he was a minister, I think he had two days in a week he would spend fasting. Um, but the, the Lord had, had shared with him, I would like it better if you lived a fasted life. And so he gave us instruction on that. I've given you some instruction on that too. That's just living a, a life where you don't eat all you want to all the time. And so he began to do that. But that meant he had to stop doing something that could have been ritualistic in his life. Sometimes people have picked up a, a, a fast day, but it's long past had its, its day, had an expiration date, and they just kind of went right on by the expiration date. Um, now, when Brother Hagen taught us that, I, I thought, well, I should get what I should out of the fasting days, and so I spent time doing fasting days and got into a couple of days, and I don't know how many days in a row I, I eventually got to was, uh, a while ago, but... Um, then I said, all right, now it's time for me to pick this up. And so I picked up the fasted life and I certainly saw there was more benefit in that than all the fasting days I ever had, 
had done. But that's not our topic here today. But that's something. If we have a weekly or monthly fast, has it reached its expiration time? And just stopping it, is that going to cause you more problems in the flesh because, well, I'm not doing something that I thought was doing something spiritually. How about saying a certain prayer at night or in the morning? Maybe you're grow up. How many of you had a certain prayer that you would say at nighttime? You know that, uh, of course, that old comical one, now I lay me down to sleep. <laughs> People would do that. And after a while, we found out, well, it's a ritual and we had to break it. But, you know, that may have come a little bit of a tough time for you. There are some people, though, today, they're reading or they're praying Psalm 91 daily. I will tell you this. I have never, nor will I ever, pray or confess Psalm 91 daily. I will not. For me, to do so means I'm walking in fear. I'm expecting something to happen, so I'm going to say this first to keep it from, from happening. Uh, no, if, I, if something's going to happen, I expect God to tell me about it. I expect God to give me an understanding of it or at least give me instruction, go over here and go do this because that's how we should, should live. But there are some people, oh no, I didn't say, I didn't confess the 91st Psalm this morning. Oh, oh I could be in real trouble. <laughs> and it's a ritual. That's all it is. It's a ritual to them. They've lost the power of it. It may have started good. Maybe they heard somebody teach on Psalm 91 and they got all excited and they wanted to be reminded of those principles every day and reading the, Psalm 91 and being reminded of those principles is fine. But feeling like every day I got to get up and I got to say these things, otherwise this power is not going to be in operating in my life, that's, that's out of fear. Yeah, but certain catchphrases like this, well, if God be willing, thank you, Jesus. Amen. These are sometimes just catchphrases and we may have initially started those things with some meaning and some feeling, but over time they lost it. I, I listen to some preachers and, you know, amen is about every sec- second uh, sentence. And it, to me, it's just like, it's, it's lost its meaning. You're just, you're just saying it. Or something, you know, praise the Lord or thank you, Jesus. They just keep throwing it in there while they're, while they're preaching. It's losing the meaning. When you say thank you, Jesus, you ought to be thanking Jesus and not just use it as a Christian cuss word. Sometimes something bad happens to people. Thank you, Jesus. Well, they just said that instead of the cuss word that the heathen is saying. You got to be careful about that. Make, look at the meaning. Why am I doing it? What is what is it producing in my life? Does it have any benefit for me? How about only sensing the anointing on a preacher when they get loud? You know, you can have a preacher and they were kind of monotone, and then somebody else says it preaches the exact same message, but they get excited. Get loud. Oh, did you hear the anointing on that one? Oh, my. We can't sense the anointing unless the preacher gets loud. Or the preacher starts dancing. Oh, but you're in service today? Oh, the preacher started dancing. He got so anointed. Or saying, God is a two-syllable word. Or they go on to that sing song. You ever hear the preacher does that sing song type of, a, type of way of preaching? Some people, unless they get into that sing song voice, they don't feel that the preacher's anointed. Or how about if the organ kicks in? Sometimes you look at these things and unless that happens, we don't feel like the anointing was on there. And we can miss it. Ritual. How about falling down to receive in a prayer line? That's a charismatic ritual right there. They expect that, well, I didn't get anything. I didn't fall down. 
You don't got to fall down. There's nothing in the Word of God that says you need to fall down to receive from God. Now, some people get hands laid on them and they do fall down. But don't ever get to the place where it's a ritual. Well, I go up, I get hands laid on me, I need to fall down. Most people, a lot of people anyway, they get up there and they just fake falling. They don't feel any kind of power come upon them. They just fall. Because if I don't fall, then I'm not yielding to the Spirit of God. I don't want to be resistant. It's a ritual. How about a confession that was intended to remind me of certain principles, but now is more like a good luck charm? In fact, I say the word so fast, it doesn't even impact me anymore. Bless God, I'm the head and not the tail. I prosper going in, I prosper going out. They just say these things, just rattle them off. And uh, I've heard some people, you know, they say some stuff about their health. They say some things about uh, their expectation. I'm thinking there is absolutely nothing in you that believes what you're saying. You can tell just by the way they're saying it. It's just a ritual. It's just something that you do. Don't let it become ritual. If something has become ritual, quit it. Go in another direction. At least quit it for a while. Pick it back up again when you can do it without it being ritual. Now think about this. Who would you grieve more if you stopped? God or yourself? If you stop one of these ritual things that you got going on in your life, who is going to be upset more? Get the life back in what you do and get the ritual out. You don't need ritual. You need life. Remember, remember why you started the thing that you did. And think of its meaning as you do it. Whatever it is that we do, we need to be thinking of its meaning. When we say, say thank you, Jesus, we ought to be thinking of Jesus and having a grateful attitude for something that he did. Not just throwing out a phrase. God is far more pleased with our obedience to his words than our dedication to ritual. Let's repeat it now. I think I put that in your outline before, but. God is far more pleased with our obedience to his words than our dedication to ritual. Make sure we learn what the word teaches. Only then can we be sure to know his will and do his will. I had a conversation this week. Somebody had uh, sent me a text and I sent them a reply back. I'm just going to show you the reply back. Accepting a weak understanding of Scripture will result in a weak application of it. If we accept a weak understanding of Scripture, the only way that we can apply it in our life is in a weak way. I've got to not be satisfied with a weak understanding of Scripture, but be set to pursue. What does God mean? What is God asking me to do? A weak or a wrong understanding of the word will not produce obedience to God's will, but might achieve dedication to rituals. Obedience to God's will is where we are to go. Make sure we're just not dedicated to a ritual. Even coming to church, there are some people that are dedicated to the ritual. Don't be dedicated to the ritual. Be obedience to God's will. One produces great things, the other not so much. So they came with the question, should we keep doing this? And God is saying, well, look at this. Why were you doing it to begin with? Were you doing it for me? (laughs) 
or were you doing it for yourselves? If you're doing it for yourself, you may as well quit it. If we're doing something in our life and it's really just for us, we may as well quit it. Obedience to His will is what we need to do. And sometimes we are so dedicated to ritual that it prevents us from obeying His will. Father, I thank You that You open up our eyes to see things in Your Word that we can understand when we have dedicated ourselves to ritual but have not walked in obedience to Your Word. Help us to identify those rituals in our life Remove them. Get back to being obedient to your word. One produces life. The other doesn't. And we want spirits that produce life. Thank you for the help that you give us on this. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.